This is Radio Maria. We now present Catechesis. This program is a rebroadcast. listening to Radio Maria. Good afternoon and welcome to our catechesis. Today we have Father Simon Blakesley with us. Hello, Father Simon. Good afternoon, Aileen. Lovely to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. We're going to be hearing about the subject today, Father Simon. Mary and the springtime of the church. Would you start with a prayer for us? Yes, indeed. Let us say the traditional prayer to our Blessed Lady, the Hail Holy Queen. Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, hail our life, our sweetness and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this veil of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. So, I hope that is uh, a good introduction. Uh, And this uh, topic came up when I was having uh, an evening meal um, a few weeks ago with Father Andreas, and he said to me, Oh, will you come in May and present something for the catechesis time? And I said, Oh, well, what would you like to hear? And he said, Well, you think of something. Ever generous, that man. Uh, and I said, Well, what about Mary and the springtime of the church? To talk about what is um, at the heart of Uh, our devotion to our Blessed Lady, particularly during the month of May, because, as you know, um, October is uh, particularly the month of the Most Holy Rosary. Um, It is a time of devotion to Our Lady. But if you say to most Catholics, you know, when do we have a special time of prayer to Our Blessed Lady? They'd say it's in May. That's when it happens. Um, And people can remember... Um, particularly a slightly older generation, perhaps. I'm not trying to typecast or be ageist about the uh, audience for Radio Maria, but people will remember um, May processions, the crowning of the statue of our Blessed Lady with a crown of lovely flowers, um, all of these traditions uh, that people have a fond memory of from their youth. And I know that there's a reason that the church has had this desire to celebrate uh, the motherhood of Mary, particularly during the month of May. And the reason for that, really, it goes back to when Christianity was being preached 
in well in in Europe um, in uh, particularly in northern Europe um, where there were strong um, shall I say pagan traditions um, the natural religiosity of druids of people who uh, worshipped trees and there were an awful lot of um, pagan rites concerned with the springtime uh, which the church was anxious to try and in a way respect but also to harness the power of that natural sense of devotion towards the springtime but to give it uh, a Christian uh, understanding, as it were, to baptize the natural religion of the people where uh, the church was preaching the gospel. And uh, there's a kind of uh, sense of, uh, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, but not simply accepting uncritically uh, the pagan religiosity of the people, but re-explaining it and reinterpreting it according to a Christian understanding of the world and particularly a Christian understanding of uh, the whole of the cycle of creation and of new life which we celebrate uh, during Lent and Easter. So uh, I'm always aware that uh, the month of May depending on the date of Easter, of course, um, comes during Eastertide. And I've been at many meetings to discuss music to be sung uh, at Sunday Masses during Eastertide uh, and during May. And there's always a kind of bit of an argument going on as to whether you should really have hymns to Our Lady uh, on a Sunday during Eastertide. And I, I try to say, well, of course you can. Um, because it's a time when we recognize the uh, the natural motherhood of Mary and the giving of uh, her fruitfulness to creation through her uh, being, of course, the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But particularly the uh, traditions of crowning Mary as the Queen of the May is actually the the Christian um, reinterpretation, the Christian, can I say hijacking? Well, probably that's what it was. It was taking over uh, a natural pagan uh, symbol and all the sorts of rituals associated with that and then uh, putting Mary at the centre. Um, if I can just uh, explain... Um, if you Google this, which most people do, I um, Googled May Queen and came up with this article, The Legend of the May Queen. And it says in some pagan belief systems, uh, particularly those who follow Wicca, um, there is a battle between the May Queen and the Queen of Winter. And uh, if you want a, an image of, of uh, the Queen of Winter, 
I think that was the basic uh, pagan idea that was successfully borrowed by C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. So, uh, you know, the the queen uh, of uh, winter, the queen of ice, do you remember, of course, um, she is the queen of somewhere where it's always winter but never Christmas. Um, C.S. Lewis had a, a, a wonderful uh, gift for understanding uh, the the godless nature of paganism, um, even though um, there were images of the queen. So the queen of winter uh, is, as it were, um, confronted by the May Queen, who is the queen of uh, flowers, the queen of, uh, as it were, the young blushing bride, uh, the princess of, of the fae. She is uh, a figure that's, as it were, um, alluded to in um, Lady Marion in the tales of Robin Hood or in the Guinevere of the Arthurian legend. She is the embodiment of beautiful young maidenhood of Mother Earth in all her fertile richness. So it is this image of the May Queen that the church has taken and given, as it were, to our Blessed Lady, which is why we have uh, the tradition of the crowning of the statue of Our Lady with flowers uh, during May. And I was looking for the traditional hymn, O Mary, we crown thee with blossoms today. Um, And I discovered it's not in our regular church hymn book, um, people will know the one I'm alluding to. So I have asked um, for it uh, to be played. If we could uh, go to that in a little moment. But I'll, I'll just um, uh, again stress this um, desire to baptize uh, the pagan imagery um, because it is natural that people who have been. Um, at, you know, a part of the land for a long time, people who have been close uh, to nature will have a strong sense of the beauty of springtime, the beauty of flowers, uh, the potential of uh, spring richness, which promises uh, you know, a good harvest to come in the autumn. So there is an incredible um, potential for beauty and for goodness uh, in our celebration of springtime. And the church is very keen that we should see uh, that that promise of uh, a beautiful uh, new creation is fulfilled through the gift of our Blessed Lady, through her self-gift, through the Holy Spirit to God, and through... uh, her gift of the child Jesus, uh, she has, as it were, embodied the fruitfulness, the the, the fertility, um, the, the beauty of the earth, and she has brought it forth in uh, her son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the fruit of her womb. Um, but in May particularly, we see Mary as... Uh, the queen of the springtime, the queen of all fruitfulness and fertility. Um, So if we can, if we're ready 
to play O Mary, we crown thee with blossoms today. Is that bring flowers of the rarest? Uh, well, you the... could you could uh, add that as well as if you like. They are they're both Marian hymns that, as it were, celebrate this dimension of our recognition of our Blessed Lady as the Queen of the May. I'm going to play Bring Flowers of the Rarest. Let's take it away. Thank you. listening to our catechesis on our devotion to Mary through May. Father Simon. Thank you, Aileen. Yes, I, I just thought I'd uh, read a little bit from uh, The Golden Bough um, by Sir James George Fraser. He was a famous anthropologist um, and uh, wrote about the origin of religious tradition generally, not simply the Christian tradition. Um, and he explains that in England, um, from ancient times, from probably before the Middle Ages, from um, certainly throughout the Dark Ages, um, there were processions with May trees or May boughs. Uh, remember the the, the May is, is the white blossom normally from um, blackthorn bushes. Uh, they come out at this time of year with a lot of white blossom. And bringing in the May was a sign of bringing the summer. So um, this had a very uh, serious significance that people wanted uh, the winter gone and the, the coming of the blossoming of the May was a symbol of, of growth um, and it was somehow um, a sacramental presence, i.e. something that you don't always see but you know is there. And uh, so the procession would go to each and every house in the village um, and this uh, bringing of the boughs of, of um, blossom to each and every uh, homestead in the village was a sign that uh, the spirit of 
vegetation, of growth, of of plenty, was uh, being celebrated in the season of springtime. Also, uh, Jacob Grimm, uh, you'll remember Grimm's fairy tales, he said that in Teutonic mythology, there were many uh, tales of um, fertility, and uh, there is a custom uh, in uh, rural France, in the province of Bresse, uh, of a young girl in the village being asked to play the role of the May Queen or the May Bride. She is adorned with ribbons and flowers. She is dressed as a bride to meet her husband. And she is escorted by a young man through the streets while uh, the blossoms of a May tree are, are spread out before them um, on, on which they walk. It's uh, So all of these uh, traditions that we've had um, of you know, scattering petals in a May procession we're simply borrowing from a much older and uh, I would say a pagan tradition or simply a tradition of, of nature religion. It's probably kinder to say that. Um, but the natural religiosity of people is uh, encouraged when we return to these very simple signs of, of growth, of, of beauty, and the whole idea of um, crowning uh, our Blessed Lady with a beautiful bouquet of flowers is a way of respecting her place at the heart of creation. That um, our Lord has come among us uh, through the gift of um, Mary as a place of singular honour, a vessel of devotion, and it, it's important that we have um, a positive idea of this uh, giftedness of Mary, that she is the place where the Lord chose to dwell and chose happily. Um, we can stray, if we're not careful, in, into a slightly uh, negative view of um, the Incarnation, um, because sometimes, particularly in Christmas carols, uh, you know, do you remember the line, Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb? Well, why, why would you abhor the womb of a virgin? Um, and so there can be some very um, negative stereotypes of uh, becoming uh, human and coming into the womb of woman and what we do in uh, springtime is to celebrate the beauty of fertility, um, but the way that we make sure that that is uh, organically uh, linked into the mystery of our faith is that we see that beauty predominantly in, in the life and the love of our Blessed Lady. And that's why it's so important that we uh, recognize um, the beauty of Mary's gift of herself um, and the fact that uh, in her womb has come about the most beautiful flowering of uh, the divine Son of God. And that this is nothing but beauty and love and uh, generosity 
is seen through the uh, coming of our blessed Lord through the womb of our blessed lady. And it is the beauty of Mary and the the joy of uh, recognizing uh, her gift of fertility, uh, giving growth to the whole of creation uh, through allowing the Son of God to be born of her and through her. That is a wonderful reason for us to rejoice uh, in the gift of Mary to the Church, and that is the, the dimension of our Blessed Lady that we celebrate in the month of May. So that's the the reason that we have uh, this time in the springtime of the Church uh, to celebrate uh, the giftedness uh, that we have through uh, Mary saying yes to uh, the question, the uh, the call of the angel Gabriel uh, to be the place where Christ would come into the world and that she, through her yes, would make her womb into uh, a fruitful garden. We, we say this um, so often. We say, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Um, and realizing that the fruit of the womb of Mary is is a beautiful image because literally when a child is in the womb, it is the fruit of the tree of the placenta. Now, I know a lot of people will say to me, well, I've never seen my placenta. I never saw my placenta. Well, perhaps you don't remember it, but one of the things that, that now with so much more uh, information uh, and the ability even to see inside the womb, although it's not always a good idea to look because it can be uh, quite um, intrusive for the child developing. But we know that uh, a child in the womb is aware of uh, its uh, surroundings and is, uh, as it were, fed by this beautiful tree which is called the placenta. And we are all um, the fruit of someone's womb and um, we recognize that Mary was uh, the garden where uh, the tree of the Lord was planted. And she gave birth uh, through the gift of that grace, that gift of that life. She gave birth to uh, the Son of God. And we say every day, every time we say the rosary, Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And it is that natural fruitfulness, that, that beauty of Mary's gift of herself, the gift of her fertility in the service of God that we rejoice in in uh, the springtime of the church. Because it is uh, when the church is uh, rejoicing in the gift of uh, new life uh, that she celebrates uh, the gift of our Blessed Lady. Um, we're also remembering, um, as I said, there is a, a crossover uh, during Eastertide because it's a time when uh, new converts, people who have been baptized at Easter, they are coming to uh, enter into the mysteries of uh, the church. And there is uh, a time 
that is called um, the mystagogia, which is uh, a Greek word meaning that people who, as it were, have, have not had the full experience of um, all of the mysteries of the church, they've, as it were, learnt enough to be able to uh, receive baptism and uh, at the Easter Vigil they received the gift of Christian baptism. During the season of Easter, they are coming to know a lot more about uh, the mysteries of the church, particularly the mysteries surrounding our Blessed Lady. So this is a time particularly when we uh, celebrate with new Christians, with new Catholics, the richness, the, the, the abundance of our faith, and that can be expressed so well through an abundance of flowers, uh, an abundance of, of springtime um, fruitfulness and the signs of, of fertility and wonder. So it's a really important um, aspect of our devotion to our Blessed Lady that we recognize and celebrate her fertility and her gift of herself. So, I'm I'm not running dry, but uh, I'm quite happy to. Um, uh, if there are any other questions that you have that you would like a little um, more explanation of, I'm quite happy to do that. I've got loads of questions, Father Simon. But, oh right! But, be, but more importantly than me, um, I'm hoping that our dear listeners may have questions and comments to make. Right. So I am going to invite you, dear listener, please do call in to us on this catechism this afternoon on the mysteries of Our Lady and how we uh, remember those mysteries, particularly around being pregnant and giving birth to Jesus. The number is 01223 375 564. That's 01223 375-564. I have our lines open and I know that Father Simon would really love to hear from you.
Welcome back to our catechesis with Father Simon. We are listening to um, Mary, understanding Mary, particularly in May and springtime celebrations that we have for Mary. Father Simon, first of all, I want to say thank you to you because I have thought about Mary at the Annunciation and I've <laughs> thought about Mary obviously giving birth to Jesus in the Nativity and I've thought about her at the cross. But I haven't really thought about her carrying Jesus mm. in her womb, the nine months mm. of that, the giving birth and all the dangers that she would have mm. um, faced doing that as well. The self-giving that, that a woman does when she's mm. being pregnant, carrying and giving birth to a child. So you've really um, opened up my understanding, even placing it in the springtime. Yes, I, I, I think that's probably because it, it, we have this celebration of um, the Annunciation on the 25th of March, and that can often be, um, as it were, bumped because of Holy Week. Um, it's, it's quite often that we celebrate uh, the Feast of the Annunciation um, later because uh, when uh, it would normally happen during Holy Week, the, the, the liturgy of Holy Week takes precedence. Um, and uh, it, it's very interesting when there's always a, a wonderful conjunction when, um, as it were, the Feast of the Annunciation uh, is coincides with Good Friday, when Good Friday is the 25th of March. That's an incredibly powerful theology. Um, and there is actually um, a book written on this subject by um, Father John Sayward, um, who is uh, a Catholic priest now, um, but before he was uh, an Anglican priest, and for a long time, he was a Catholic layman teaching uh, theology in uh, seminaries, uh, particularly the seminary at Ashore. And so uh, I was taught by um, Father John many moons ago now, um, but he is currently uh, a parish priest uh, in Oxford. So John has, has written a book called The Mysteries of March, i.e. looking at the way in which the Paschal mystery and the mystery of the Incarnation are inextricably linked. Um, and that's why he's written uh, this uh, book on it. I, I'm sorry, if I'd realised this was going to come out, I'd have checked the ISBN number. And I'm pretty sure it's Ignatius Press, but uh, I can discover that later and perhaps we can put something on the Radio Maria website just to, to uh, follow up if people want the exact details of that. But you're right. I think um, studies of, of pregnancy and uh, the importance of it, um, particularly the, the work of Dr. Frank Lake, who was another great um, Anglican priest and um, a psychiatrist as well, a qualified doctor and a missionary priest. He thought the first trimester, the first three months of pregnancy, were particularly important for a mother to have emotional protection and to be at peace with herself um, during this time, uh, because uh, it's in that first three months, as 
the baby is developing from an embryo into a fetus, it does not have the capacity to deal with toxic uh, materials and, and, and the stress of um, any kind of uh, problems that a mother is experiencing, which are then, as it were, perfused into the growing child. So the first uh, trimester, it's very important that the mother should be spared uh, as much stress and um, difficulty as, as possible. And the fascinating thing we know about um, our Blessed Lady is that as soon as she heard that she was expecting the child Jesus, the angel told her, your kinswoman Elizabeth has, uh, in spite of her old age, herself conceived a child, and she whom people called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible to God. So we have um, Elizabeth, who is carrying John the Baptist, who is six months pregnant, i.e. she's entering her third trimester, and Mary is entering her first trimester. And Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and we know, I don't need to tell you the, the story of the visitation, but then we are told, at the end of that, there's a little throwaway line. It says, then Mary stayed with her about three months and then went back home. So, for Mary's first trimester, she was with Elizabeth, who knew what was happening, because she said, why should I be honoured with a visit from the mother of my Lord? For the moment your greeting reached my ears, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Yes, blessed is she who believed that the promise made her by the Lord would be fulfilled. And so we have um, Elizabeth, who says this incredible phrase, why should I be honoured with a visit from the mother of my Lord? How is it possible for a Jewish woman to, to say these words, the mother of my Lord? She has expressed in that simple phrase the whole of the church's belief in the incarnation, that the Lord himself would be born of a woman and would come among his own people and would then later say in the gospel we heard today for St. Philip and James, Philip, do you not understand that to have seen me is to have seen the Father? So how can you say, let us see the Father? So we have in Jesus the Lord present among his people. And that was the mystery that Elizabeth understood when she said, why should I be honoured with a visit from the mother of my Lord? And as soon as our blessed lady heard those words, she would have known, ah, this is my kinswoman, and she understands what is going on. She knows what is going on, and she knows it's important. And to have that uh, reassurance of somebody knowing what was happening and knowing that it was the will of God would have been the, the greatest reassurance that our Blessed Lady could ever have wanted. Um, because we know that going back to her own village, um, as soon as people, you see, people know 
uh, when somebody is pregnant, even before they begin to show, um, there would have been rumours of going around the village, oh, you know, that young girl, that Mary, she's pregnant, you know. And she hadn't actually been living with Joseph. They hadn't come to live together. So, oh, what's going on here then? And she would have been in danger, which is obviously why uh, Joseph, being a man of honour, decided to take Mary home as his wife. Um, because, as Joseph was told in the dream, she has conceived what is in her through the Holy Spirit. But, in fact, what Mary did was incredibly prudent. She went to visit her cousin Elizabeth and stayed with her about three months and then went back home. So she would have been entering her second trimester and, as it were, any stress or difficulty would have been much easier for the child Jesus to, to, to deal with and, and cope with. Um, it's that first trimester which is, is really important, which is why I think there needs to be a, a culture of um, love and support um, for women who are um, entering in, into this um, first trimester of pregnancy. And of course, for some of them, they don't even realize. Um, and, you know, that there are stories told which um, sometimes seems incredible that young girls can become pregnant and not realize, and the first thing they know is they're actually giving birth. Now, those occasions are incredibly rare, but they can happen. So if it's possible not to know for the whole three trimesters, it's quite plausible that many women will not know of um, the fact that they are pregnant for that, possibly the whole of that first trimester. And it, it's such an important thing to have um, that sense of of well-being, of saying yes uh, to uh, the mystery of, of a new human life um, growing. And that is why the role of the father is so important. Uh, Joseph, being a man of honor, uh, decided to take uh, Mary home as his wife. Um, he knew how important it was to give her the support because I always say it's the woman who creates the womb for the child and the man who creates the womb, who creates the security for the mother. Um, and that is the vital importance of, of fatherhood in creating the emotional, physical, financial uh, security for a mother so she can, uh, as it were, allow herself to be free to focus on giving the, the security and the emotional um, love and acceptance uh, to a child uh, who is coming into this world, who has been loved into existence. Now, of course, unfortunately, as we realize, there will be a flip side to that. Um, and we can only realize that there are times when... Um, Mothers, for whatever reason, um, and very often it is <laughs> in no way their fault, but they find that when they are in the situation of wanting uh, to enjoy pregnancy as a positive experience, they find they're not getting support. 
and sometimes they're getting outright rejection. Um, and, you know, I don't need to tell you the story of, of how women can be put under pressure um, in, in such situations. But there is all the difference in the world between a mother with um, the father of the child who on discovering the bars on that pregnancy testing kit says, thank you, God, I'm pregnant. That is a very important reaction. But also, we have to be realistic. Sometimes the reaction is, oh, my God, I'm pregnant. And that it's a different start in life for a human being. And it, there are I, even St. Paul says uh, it was though I was born when nobody expected it. Um, and I've heard people refer to themselves as, oh, well, I was the accident. Um, and, yeah, that's a joke sometimes, but sometimes it's far from funny uh, because there are people whose earliest experience in life was, oh, what are you doing here? You know, not really, you know, you weren't um, part of the plan, so um, what are you doing here? And that goes deep into a lot of people, um, and they need to know that, you know, as it says in, in the Old Testament, even though mother and father forsake you, I will not forsake you, says the Lord. Um, even though th there is that um, emotional, well, yes, let's call it betrayal, uh, because it's not too strong a word. It, it's the reality. Even if mother and father betray betray a child emotionally. Um, the Lord loves that child. And particularly for people who have um, experienced um, a lack of love, even in the womb, that is where the love of our Blessed Lady and her part in uh, achieving the work of the redemption, um, that is where her work is so important. And her freely given love is is available to everyone, uh, especially to those who, who have not um, always experienced that same um, uncomplicated love from their conception onwards. So that's uh, almost like um, another way of celebrating this month of May for yes. people who have had painful upbringings. Yeah. Uh, with the, with their parents, yes, another yes. another way to look at it. Yeah, it's 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 a time of saying no. Every human life um, is is a gift, and we celebrate um, the motherhood of Mary, and she is open to be the mother of everyone. Um, and I certainly say that uh, in Lourdes, uh, when when people go to Lourdes, I said, you know, okay. Um, you might be here with your mum, and you know I hope um, you you can, um, as it were, uh, enjoy time spent uh, in Lourdes or in any other Marian shrine um, with your mother. But maybe it's just not possible. Um, and uh, I know I didn't have an opportunity to take my mum to Lourdes. I wish I had, but. Anyway, the, what happened was that um, I, I've seen many people recognize um, when they go to Lourdes that they need um, 
to receive the love of our Blessed Lady as the love of a heavenly mother because they recognized that their earthly mother, um, as much as she perhaps wanted them, uh, as much as she tried to love them, they, she couldn't provide that necessary degree of love and acceptance. And therefore, it's in that woundedness that many people uh, require the healing love of our Blessed Lady. And that is always, always freely and abundantly offered. Thank you. The next question I have to ask is, um, there are almost maybe, there are two things that I was wondering when you were speaking. The first is quite often for non-Catholics, when they hear about Our Lady and, and, and celebrations like the May Queen crowning mm. um, that may have been more common in the past than it is now, um, they can think that actually it comes from pagan tradition rather than we've incorporated pagan mm. tradition into proper Christian understanding. Yes. And that's it. So my first, so there are two questions and I think they probably go together for the answer, Father Simon. Okay. Um, so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about where our understanding scripturally for Mary comes from. Is it scriptural? Is it also tradition? But also I've heard that the... Mary is seen to be the mother of the church. And, and if I remember rightly, her womb is symbolic of the church. Is that right? Mm. Or am I making that up? No. <laughs> and I wondered if, if that fruitfulness, if you could talk about that in relation to how, how do we get our understanding of, of Mary, particularly as Catholic and say Eastern, Eastern Christians? Thank you very much, uh, Aileen. That's a very, it's a great challenge, but the, the best place to go to understand about our Blessed Lady is the teaching of the Second Vatican Council, particularly the dogmatic constitution on the Church, which is usually referred to as Lumen Gentium, um, because, as you may know, uh, the main um, documents of the Second Vatican Council are often known by the first two Latin words, um, the incipit, the beginning, um, and um, Lumen Gentium means the light of the nations, and that is how uh, the Church is understood in the teaching of the Second Vatican Council. And the chapter on Our Blessed Lady uh, is in, the, the section on Our Lady is in, Lumen Gentium. Uh, at the beginning of the council, the people who were um, mapping out all the different documents said, oh, well, we should have a document about our Blessed Lady. And, and they were working on this and, and trying to give it a working title, etc., etc. And the fathers of the church said, no, we can't make it some sort of a separate standalone document. This uh, teaching about the place of our Blessed Lady in the economy of salvation, this needs to be part of the dogmatic constitution on the church. So I think it's the eighth section, or certainly it, it is the last substantial section of the dogmatic constitution, Lumen Gentium, is on the place of our Blessed Lady uh, in uh, the history of salvation and in the history of the church. And you're quite right. Our Lady is seen as the mother of the church, but also 
as we are all spiritually conceived within her womb. We are all, as it were, made her children. And that was uh, affected when our Lord said on the cross, um, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son, giving uh, John um, into the care of Mary and vice versa was the beginning of uh, us, all of us, um, having been entrusted to the motherhood of Mary um, by our Lord on the cross as Mary stood at the foot of the cross. And so um, that's where we get our, our understanding of our Blessed Lady from. We we, we understand the work that she she does and is doing from the foot of the cross. You, you said that that some people think that the church has got all her ideas about Our Lady um, from these strands of pagan tradition, which um, she has just taken on board without correcting or or enriching. And I think what I was trying to say earlier was when I said that the church had baptized these natural religious uh, images and uh, symbolisms, um, the church doesn't say anything that would, as it were, not be fitting or worthy of our Blessed Lady. And she simply uses the richness of the imagery, which is already there, to um, to to embellish and to literally to crown Our Lady with with beauty. Um, And so we're simply um, using what is already beautiful and what is already um, radiant within creation um, to recognize and to celebrate um, the beauty uh, of Our Blessed Lady. so I can understand there's a kind of chicken and the egg uh, question going on here. Um, but really, uh, our Blessed Lady and our devotion to her uh, came long before these um, these pagan traditions. Um, and there are different uh, attitudes towards whether you accept uh, a pagan tradition or not. The famous story, do you know, the one of St. Boniface, when he was in um, uh, the middle of pagan Germany. Um, he was the Bishop of Mainz, but he, he went somewhere into the middle. I don't know whether it was the Black Forest, but it was some forest in Germany. And in this village, they had a sacred oak tree, which they worshipped. So he just got up one night and chopped it down and put a cross in its place. So... Uh, he realized that, you know, you couldn't really change um, uh, this kind of natural religion. Uh, You had to chop it down and replace it with a Christian sign. So he chopped down their sacred oak tree and and gave them a cross instead. So sometimes um, you can work with a natural religious tradition and sometimes you have to um, make a clean break and and introduce... uh, a purer and a more um, consciously Christian symbol. And then one thing, last thing to ask you, Father Simon, we're nearly up for time now. The book of Revelation, mm. when, do we read about Mary there, Our Lady there, or is, is it more, as you say, the Gospels that we, we draw? I, I think um, certainly 
people's exegesis of the book of Revelation, the the woman crowned with the 12 stars standing on the earth. Um, and it, that is a symbol of Mary, but it's also a symbol of the church. Um, so it, it's not a, as, as um, straightforward as you might imagine to see um, the power of... Um, our Blessed Lady as as the Queen of Heaven. Um, and again, even that um, uh, tradition of, of the Queen of Heaven, there have been in um, previous uh, religious traditions, even the, the pagan traditions of Astarte and Milcom, uh, there were uh, devotions to uh, a Queen of Heaven, um, even before um, the time of our Lord, uh, in in the um, Old Testament times, uh, there were um, Astarte and and other um, uh, godlike um, beings uh, were both male and female. So to to have a devotion to a queen of heaven was was actually a, a, a pagan tradition long before um, even the birth of Our Lady and Our Lord. So, um, yes, we have to be conscious that when we are using um, these images uh, and symbols of uh, the presence of Our Lady in, in creation, um, some of them have um, been used before or are naturally occurring um, symbolic um, ideas that... that um, we then, as I say, baptize, we give them a specifically Catholic and Christian interpretation. And we have to make sure that that we are not simply um, allowing all of the, the negative connotations of, of uh, previous um, natural uh, symbolisms uh, simply to be accepted uh, uncritically as part of of our devotion um so yes we we recognize uh, the power of of the image of um our lady as both a human and a cosmic figure um but i think my uh, instinct is always to go to uh, the humanity of our blessed lady and to go to the gospels as the primary source of our understanding of of her her work her life in the world um it, she is um a wonderful mother to all those who who turn to her and um you know it is a thing unheard of that anyone who sought her her aid uh, was left unaided um there is a, a a wonderful um human instinct to put our trust in our blessed lady um, as as members of the Catholic Church, as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we should always put our trust in her with, with the utmost confidence. You've really helped with my understanding, and I'm sure it's not just me, but our dear listeners as well. Thank you so much, Father Simon. No problem. Have they not called in? They haven't called in. They not, tend, one. not one. Not oh. one. But I'm sure that they're there. You know, dear listener, that this will be on podcast as well, so you can always listen to it again there, and it will be rebroadcast re as well. Father Simon, would you end with a prayer and blessing for us, please? And Certainly. thank you. You're very welcome.
Uh, so we we ask the intercession of our Blessed Lady. Now, there's just one little thing I want to put a plug in here, if I have time. I think I've got a half a minute or so. And that's to make a plea for our Blessed Lady's comma. Now you're saying, what does he mean, our Blessed Lady's comma? Well, if you go and look at the written text of the Hail Mary, uh, in the, the first half of the Hail Mary, the last line, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, comma, Jesus. Now, I've heard so many people pray the rosary, and they get into a cadence, and it's kind of what I call a gabbly cadence, and it either becomes womb Jesus hyphenated, or womb Jesus, all one word, and bless the fruit of thy womb Jesus. I don't know what a womb Jesus is. So, a plea for blessed is the fruit of thy womb, comma, Jesus. So, having given my little stern talk there, I shall pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come down on you now and remain with you always. Amen.